to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com hey listeners nicoletta here i want to invite you and a partner or lover to join me on september 24th and 25th for a two-day partner-based retreat at a private seaside ranch in malibu you can find all the details and tickets at the pleasureconnection.eventbrite.com This retreat is designed for partners wishing to enhance pleasure in the bedroom and beyond, and it is specifically created for folks who are struggling to start or restart the conversation around sex, intimacy, and desire. No experience is required, just willingness for more. I'm hosting with two other pleasure experts, the canisexual Ashley Manta, as well as renowned behavioral therapist Lisa Rader. We know that most of us are not taught how to have great sex, but practice makes pleasure. Come join us to learn the skills to enhance pleasure and intimacy in your relationship. Only 14 couples will be invited, so come secure your spot today at thepleasureconnection.eventbrite.com. The discounted rate is available for the first three couples only, or find details on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars. That's thepleasureconnection.eventbrite.com. Thepleasureconnection.eventbrite.com. Hope to see you there. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to the second episode of another season of Sluts and Scholars. I hope you have all had a wonderful summer. I'm trying things a little differently this season. I'm going to be doing monthly themes, sort of like mini seasons. As we ease our way back in slowly with lots of lube, the month of September will be back to the basics. Kind of like going back to school, but hopefully sexier. I know some of you slutty scholars are advanced, and some of you are just baby sluts tuning in for the first time. But I think it is always good to slow down and come back to the basics. Even when you think you know it all, there is always more to learn and be curious about. This second episode is great for folks of all experience levels. My guest and I discuss what does it mean to fuck well, mixed orientation couples, shame-induced pelvic pain, sexual boredom, and what exactly do sex therapists do and how does being a sex therapist impact our love and sex lives? Here we go. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am excited to welcome not a new colleague, but newer to me. And I'm really excited to have gotten to know her, Dr. Nazanin Moali. She is an internationally recognized ASEX certified psychologist, educator, and podcaster. Her private practice is located in Los Angeles, and she specializes in helping her clients to achieve optimal sexual health and satisfaction. Satisfaction. She hosts a weekly podcast, which is amazing and just features so many really cool researchers, therapists, coaches, all, all, all kinds of folks, and most recently me. Um, and so go check out part one of this interview on the Sexology podcast, uh, where she introduces the most intriguing findings on the psychology of sex and intimacy. Welcome, Nazanin. I am so excited to be here, Nicoletta. I The first time I saw your uh, podcast, I was like, I want that name. That is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I thought the same thing about yours. I was like, man, the sexology podcast. I can't believe somebody got that. But you know what? There's room for there's room for all of us. So Aww. we can let's uplift sexology and sluts and scholars yes. together. <laughs> Love that. 
Okay, so for listeners out there, you know that I'm doing this season a little bit differently. And so this podcast is going to kind of be in the realm of back to basics. Uh, so we're going to be talking a little more about some of the, the basic stuff and beginner stuff. So if you're wanting something uh, a little more advanced, um, I will let you know when that is coming out. But today we are going to be talking about what really happens in sex therapy, what it's kind of like to be a sex therapist and, and what our work looks like. So let's get into it. Um, okay. So I know this is kind of a big question and I want to answer it kind of with you. Um, but a lot of times people have some misconceptions about what is sex therapy. Um, so if you were to sum it up a little bit, what would you say happens in sex therapy? I would be happy to. And did you just call me basic? (laughs) (laughs) No, in the best way. (laughs) We're both basic bitches today as we come back to the basics. I had to say that. I was like, did she just call me basic? (laughs) I highly doubt that you could ever be basic. Well, thank you. Except for for today. (laughs) Thank you for the validation. I would be happy to talk about that. So the number of different misconceptions that people have, I guess number one that I hear, that this fear of what happens inside sex therapy session, many people think uh, it involves some kind of a touch. Like a therapist, like as a licensed therapist, we are having sex with people, we're touching people, or we're requesting people to have sex in front of us. And mm-hmm. that at times it becomes a challenge for people because that's not what they're interested in. And um, they had some experiences with non-consensual uh, touch and that just feels very uncomfortable. So professional therapy never include sex or any kind of touch. Uh, so, uh, I know that some people do some maybe mild kind of like uh, physical touch, meaning that some kind of sensual stuff, but most people that I know, it includes no touch. And there are professionals, if that's something you're interested to do, that psychological body worker that can help you with uh, processing those things. But uh, sex therapy is mostly talk therapy. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think... Just for folks out there who are listening, if you you know haven't heard this yet or you're tuning in for the first time, there there are folks who are not going to be psychologists or general therapists um, that do touch work. So Dr. Nazanin mentioned one, which is called sexological body work. So that's kind of like coaching or education, but with a hands-on component. Uh, there are also people who are called surrogate partner therapists. So they basically act as a sort of safe container to explore things in a safe way for folks who are struggling with sexual issues. Um, And then there are kinds of therapy that do involve touch. Um, One is called somatic experiencing. So these are all like body-based ones. But yeah, in school, we're basically taught that professional therapy does not include sex or touch, which I agree. I think there needs to be a space where that doesn't happen. But I also feel like sometimes it it feels like in our graduate programs, they try to scare us so much out of being a human being with our clients. And so I'm not saying that should include that we have sex with our clients, but like, you know, finding ways to do consensual hand on the back, hand on the arm um, during like, you know, talking about difficult things. Um, I wish that there was better ways for us to incorporate that because I feel like sometimes our field has gotten so disembodied and sterile. 
<laughs> I agree with you on that. And I think with any kind of touch, it requires to have very defined boundaries and mm-hmm. things that you're doing. And I think yeah. it's safer to say no touch versus right. kind of like uh teach people about those boundaries and how to read yeah. people's boundaries. And many therapists work in uh, collaboration with sexological yeah. body workers and surrogates. So uh, people kind of have those experiences with someone in another setting and uh, they talk about it with the therapist or therapist or surrogate, all three together. So it doesn't need to be something that we are looking down at. But that's usually when you're going to a mental health professional license one, it's not required uh, or it's not even allowed at at certain kind of uh kind of uh, organization to have those kind of touch the second misconception that people have is that we have it's a universal something that's bad it's universally bad uh for example sometimes i get this call from people that say like my partner is watching quote unquote too much porn mm-hmm. and we're fixing them and they <laughs> think that we're like as a therapist i think porn is bad and we're fixing the third person right that the the other partner but it's very unique for every couple that they come in good and mm-hmm. bad what works for you and what doesn't work for you is very related to your dynamic uh, for example the 2 p.m couple i might work on incorporating porn and psychological arousal into the relationship the 3 p.m. couple, maybe we're working on them removing it. So there's not a universal good or bad. It's a matter mm-hmm. of what works for your relationship or not. This makes me think of a question that I'd love to like dive into a little bit with you, which is like, how do we find this balance between meeting our clients where they're at to sort of respect maybe the cultures and boundaries and preferences that they have while also helping to minimize shame. And so I'm thinking of those folks who culturally or religiously are like, no sex toys, no porn, but we're listening to what's going on for them. And we're like, oh, you could really use some sex toys and some porn. Um, (laughs) How do we kind of find a balance between respecting and meeting them where they're at, but also not adding to the sexual shame and the sort of like there are wrong and bad ways of of being sexual. I agree with you. Again, coming from a conservative community, big yeah. part of my uh, practice are people who are in monogamous relationship that they have conservative values. And I always yeah. go back to this uh, concept of what's your personal value and what is the meaning of like the value, the sexual value in the relationship? What kind of a legacy you want to have with your partner? And Mm. kind of like our values are helping us to see if we are in the right direction or not. Sometimes people think that kind of going back to the right and wrong, that there is uh, this particular thing that's bad and no one should do it. But I think what's important to think about, what is my value? For one person, maybe uh, kind of like adventure is a value, then therefore, how can we explore that adventure within the framework that's acceptable to you? And for someone else is uh, kind of like family is is a value and kind of carrying the tradition is important. So Mm -hmm. I think as a therapist, it's it's helpful to, help people to uh, clarify their own values and yeah. help them to have tools and strategies to create a life based on that. Uh, so I think that that is important. And sometimes people yeah. uh, choose people within their culture, outside their culture, uh, based on what they're looking for. 
So mm-hmm. I think that's also can help people with accessing different resources. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all of that. And I think it's, I don't know, it's really hard to sometimes find that balance. And sometimes I find myself trying to challenge myself to not be, um, I don't want to say not be so open-minded, but there can be a time if you're like overly sex positive, that it's actually shaming to somebody's conservative uh, upbringing and conservative values. And so then they don't feel seen either. And that can be an issue for, you know, creating rapport in the, in the therapeutic relationship. Absolutely. I can see that. And at times I see that people might choose someone that appeared to be uh, very sex positive because that's what they want. So they're right. coming in for that cheerleading they want to challenge and resources, that, right. right? So if you they wanted something conservative, they would go someone within their religious uh, organization. And I think what's important yeah. is to kind of build a strong relationship with your clients. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes my clients say, there's no way I'm doing this. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, thank and you for knowing <laughs> Thank you for knowing what your boundary is and, and feeling safe to say that to me. Right. And then I'll say like, what, what do you want to do? What would, what would make sense? So I think, um, you know, it's, it's completely okay to say no to your therapist, right? So yes, it's encouraged. Right. So, so that can be also helpful. Yeah. And I want to add to what you said about the values. I think as we're talking about values, it made me sort of uh, remember that I think it's important to, to help people explore not in a judgmental way of like, why do you have that value? But like to explore where they got those values from so they can really decide if that's their value or if this was a value that society, parents, whatever instilled on them and if it's still working for them. Exactly. And uh, kind of like through my journey of becoming a sex therapist, it was because I had very, I developed very bad dyspronia. And there was nothing physically wrong with me. All of those cultural shame and negative values were kind of like creating this uh, experience in my body. And for was... fo- for folks who don't know, can you define dyspareunia? Sure. So for there are different version of have painful sex, and uh, so for some people, uh, like sex is it because of the pain is impossible. For some people, they can have uh, kind of like some uh, sexual pain during the uh, kind of early part of the penetration. So it could be number of different reasons. For some people, it could be related to their uh, pelvic muscle. For some people, it's psychological. For some people, due to the injury. So there's so many components to it. But mm-hmm. for me, the extreme pain that I was feeling was because of this uh, kind of like shameful upbringing I had around sex. Yeah. So these values can really impact us living the life we want to live. And I think it was helpful for my therapist to help me challenge that. So yeah. because through talk therapy, it helped me to resolve my issue completely. In past 20 years, I never had one incident of painful sex. So oh, our awesome. thoughts are very powerful. And if you're comfortable answering or as, as much as you're comfortable sharing, what do you think was most helpful for you in your own maybe therapy journey to help you go from that sort of shameful, painful place to like, now I'm hosting the sexology podcast? <laughs> well, for me, it was kind of like challenging this narrative around sexuality for women, right? That like, what does it mean to be a sexual woman? 
Like, is it coming from this place of you're you're not worthy, you're not, you don't have integrity. So unlearning those messages mm. helped yeah. me a lot. And also being kind of experimenting with, I can be my sexual self and still I'm valuable, I'm worthy, and I can find people that I, that I engage in these fun activities and it doesn't make me less of a human. And that changed my life in a way that it made me a happier person, more successful person. So sometimes when people think about sexual health, they think it's a small thing that happens in the bedroom. But improving your sexual health can transform your entire life. Yes, I, I totally agree. And then on the flip side, I think in terms of what happens in sex therapy, like, yes, we're coming in and talking about sex, but it's never just about the sex. Our whole life impacts our sexuality. So it is, it's this you know, back and forth of, 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 you know, yeah, it goes both ways. Absolutely. Um, I wonder as you're doing this work now, and I'll answer for myself as well is like, what do you feel like is the hardest part about working in this field? Well, I think biggest kind of challenge that I have is I want to actually going back to what something that you said, I want everyone to be excited about sex. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is a wonderful journey. This is a wonderful party. And I want everyone to be part of this party. I think like for me, what, uh, what was a learning experience was to kind of honor that although I think sex is great, sexual health is important, but it could look very different for someone. And mm-hmm. people could not, like there are galaxy of options out there and there are people that they don't want to have sex and that's completely okay. Or people can have certain kind of experiences uh, kind of is very different than what I would envision. It's exciting and fun. So yeah. that was part of it. The other part is because of my own kind of trauma of growing up in a patriarchal society, uh, I have to kind of check with my own internal experiences when I see a very traditional couple in my practice, because for some traditional couples, that works. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for me to kind of be uh, mindful of that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think to add to that for me, it's, it is the slowing down. I think, yeah, sometimes I am excited and I want people to like get to the, get to the other side, if you will. And I think really having to like go slow, um, for folks who have maybe never talked about sex before, um, you have to be really patient. It's a, it's a process. Um, I also think that, and this is sort of the, I'd love to hear the upsides for you, but this is sort of the upside and the downside is like, because I do this work, I feel like I'm constantly being challenged and introduced around new topics and ideas about sex and relationships. And so even in all of my therapy client, you know, even in all my sessions with therapy clients, I'm like thinking of, at times like, oh, how does that relate to my stuff? Or it'll bring up something that I'm like thinking about in my relationship or I'm like, oh my gosh, that same thing happens in mine. Um, And so it's, you know, constantly challenging me to learn new classes and resources and techniques and tools. And so I feel like I have all the tools I could want to have an amazing sex and relationship life. So that's the upside. But the downside is then it's really hard to not compare and be like, I have all the tools. Why am I still making the same fucking mistakes as some of my clients? (laughs) I can definitely relate to that. And I think sometimes kind of, again, there can be easy to be distracted with the new technology and knowledge and all of that. And I think yeah. it's important to kind of like go back to what's happening in the room and going back to basics. So I I, I, I certainly had the experience that you mentioned. 
Yeah, you're, ba- you're just basic, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> this is the end of this conversation. <laughs> yeah, I think what's the best part for you about being a sex therapist? Well, I think the best part is how much exciting new things you learn and, and the field, the kind of newest technology. And I think yeah. the other great thing is that you, I found my tribe. I always felt a little bit mischievous <laughs> about other psychologists <laughs> and naughty. naughty. Yeah. And I felt always my joke was a little bit kind of like too much <laughs> in general, kind of like psychologist realm. But I think yeah. a sex therapist that I've met, uh, they're wonderful people with a uh, very open mind. And I found a community within a sex therapy community. And yeah. um, then that's also been a blessing of it. Yeah. How is it for you? Because I talked a little bit about how maybe it affects my relationship. If you're comfortable sharing, how do you think it is for you being in relationship or marriage or relationships as a sex therapist? And how is it? I don't know if your partner's in the field. Mine's not. My husband uh, is a healthcare worker, but he's okay. not in this kind. He's not a psychologist. But I have a funny story about this. Uh, so, like my entire family, of course, I know I'm a sex therapist. My in-laws, they know. Uh, my husband has a aunt. She is in mid eighties. Wonderful woman, mid eighties. She has a PhD in developmental psychology. She was visiting from East Coast, and mm-hmm. she, we were doing a very fancy, like proper dinner party, and it was yeah. like like five people my in-laws and and her mm-hmm. as we were enjoying this proper uh dinner she looked at me and she said you know so and so is so lucky you are pretty and you fuck well <laughs> and, I, I and you're like, like you're like yes i do thank you <laughs> I, and that was like that and we were quiet the rest of the dinner as i was sitting next to my father-in-law because oh, God, what else he can say like after <laughs> that <laughs> And I think that's part of it. Like people think you fuck well. (laughs) And I think my opinion is fucking well is not a, it's not a goal. It's not a destination. It's an ongoing thing. Like, sure. Maybe there are people who across the board, everyone would think fucks well, but it's like, it's a practice. And with each partner, it's different. And so even if we're, my opinion is even if we're professionals in this field, like we're always learning and being with new people and learning new stuff, it's going to change over time. So it's not just like we're good and we're amazing to me being fucking well is being like receptive to feedback and learning new stuff and being open to learn new things that you thought you already knew before. Absolutely. I think it's just a matter of uh, enthusiasm and a fit with the partner. Right. Yeah. That even as a sex therapist, I might go with someone that our erotic <laughs> conflicts are not aligned and I, I might not fuck well. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think that that's the assumption that people have. And I think the expectation that comes with it, like yeah. a colleague asking me about the newest and best things. I was like, mm-hmm. I didn't know about that. I, I, I don't know everything that comes in the field. So I think that's part of it. But I think and I was like after you know, I was having the conversation with my husband, I was like, why did she say that? He says, what should I do? I call my 80-year-old aunt and say, my wife doesn't fuck well. (laughs) What are we doing here? He was saying that everyone thinks that. And I think that's the assumption that people have. And I think that's definitely a compliment to to receive, not from your uh, older adult in-laws, but I think it's a compliment. But I like that you highlighted that it's more of kind of state of mind and willingness. 
I was so excited when I found out the Calm app wanted to partner with the show. I have been using the Calm app for years, and it is a part of my daily routine. If you go to calm.com slash S&S, you'll get a special offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription, and new content is added every week. Calm is the number one mental wellness app to give you the tools that improve the way you feel. Reduce stress and anxiety through guided meditations, improve focus with curated music tracks, and rest and recharge with Calm's imaginative sleep stories for children and adults. There's even new daily movement sessions designed to relax your body and uplift your mind. I often talk on the podcast about creating a routine or a ritual that is just for you, and the Calm app helps me to facilitate time for myself. I like to start the day with Tamara doing a daily calm with Tamara and go to sleep listening to the French Whisperer's Myth of Atlantis. Honestly, I just listened to that one on repeat. Uh, I have favorites that I continue to come back to. I notice that my day is much better when I do this and that my racing thoughts are quieted by these sleep stories, and I get better sleep than when I try to fall asleep watching a show. For listeners of the show, Calm is offering an exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash S&S. Go to calmcom.com slash S-A-N-D-S for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash S&S. Now back to the episode. I mean, let's say you are in a relationship and you are feeling like your partner doesn't fuck well. <laughs> and again, that doesn't mean that uh, they suck or whatever. They could just not know. Maybe you're not giving them feedback. It doesn't mean that they're bad. Um, but a lot of times if we give feedback, obviously I wouldn't say like, hey, you suck at fucking. Uh, but you know, for giving feedback, um, it can be really hard for people to take that in and not feel judged or rejected. Um, so let's say someone's like, oh yeah, I'm listening to this. I really think like sex therapy could be great for me and my partner, but how do I bring this up? Any tips for how to bring up that you aren't happy with the sex that you're having or you want it to be better and you feel like you need some help? Absolutely. I think any any person, any relationship would benefit from uh, giving and receiving feedback, right? Our interest evolves so much, especially if you're with someone long term. And I think uh, uh, kind of like ongoing check-in is a requirement. I tell all of my clients to have ongoing check-in with because if you don't have this check-in in your relationship about kind of hard things going sexually when you have these conversation it feels always charged and you might feel criticized so uh, one thing I recommend people is to do what I call sexy happy hour. It could mm-hmm. be a once a month. It could be a once a week. Like you're dedicating this 30 minutes of talking about uh, kind of what goes well in the relationship. What are some of the specific things that your lover does that like your partner does that you like? And what do you want more of? So the more of those ongoing checking you have, the better it is. But if there's a specific feedback that you want to give your partner, I think definitely unless this is something that's very uncomfortable, don't give it in the bedroom. Of course, like do it outside the bedroom when you are not in the midst of passion and you can tell your partner that this is something that I want to talk to you about when it's a good time. Because sometimes when we're nervous, we have this conversation in the most random time and we're not setting ourselves in a for success. Like as someone is walking to the house, we're giving our partner this 
very critical feedback. So mm-hmm. setting aside the time to talk about this is important, having them permit, giving them, uh, asking for permission and telling them it's going to be 15 minutes, 20 minutes. So they don't feel like you're going on and on about this thing. And I would recommend people to kind of start with positive, something specific that's positive and good. And kind of as you're giving feedback, focusing on what do you want more of instead of saying that you do this and I don't like it. So the more that you can focus on your need, the better it will be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about folks who aren't in therapy yet and are trying to frame that they want to go to a sex therapist? Um, how to maybe bring that up. I mean, I guess you could use the same the same technique. I, I like to call it the shit sandwich technique. It's just kind of what you're saying, which is like <laughs> say the say the nice thing, say it in a strength-based compliment way, say the the thing, and then say the nice thing. I, I, my husband is so funny. He's part of the kind of like an organizational part of his company. And when I do this, yeah. once he said, Are you serving me the sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, are you <laughs> therapizing me? <laughs> he said, Just give me the meat. <laughs> I don't need the sandwich. But I, I agree with you. Sometimes it's nice to hear the positive things. But I think if you want to go to sex therapy, I think, first of all, it's important to do a little bit of research of who are you looking for. So coming in with some resources, kind of thinking it doesn't mean like your partner needs to go to this particular people. But sometimes when we are saying that this is the issue we have, and we have no solution for it, right? Like, uh, I, you don't know how to give me or do oral sex, and we have no. Uh, we don't have any feedback that. for how we want it. Yeah, right. And feedback and no resources, and just what what can your partner do with that? But I think if you have like yeah. resources that can be helpful, also kind of like saying that, like you know, I heard this like podcast they were talking about. I'm curious about it. Kind of, kind of having an open ended question. I'm curious about this. What do you think about that? What are some of the thoughts that you have about that? So kind of see what, what your partner thinks about it. Sometimes their partner might not be ready. I'm sure me and you've seen uh, individual that were, they were dragged into therapy mm-hmm. by their partners and they're just so not want to be there and they're not yeah. going to be a, any benefit to that. So I tell people like if your partner doesn't want to come saying that, honey, so let's for this three months explore things based on what you want, then would that be okay if I revisit this conversation in three months or two months? So you're giving them the space to kind of experiment with different approaches and then kind of like uh, asking or reminding them about the therapy after. Because I I love therapy, but there are so many different ways that can people improve their relationship that doesn't necessarily include therapy, like reading books, doing workshop courses, all of that also can give people the tools they might need. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe maybe it will start a conversation for like how your partner prefers to process and learn, right? Maybe maybe therapy, of course, would help, but maybe they're like, oh, I'd prefer to start with something like Beducated, which is mm-hmm. like an online resource where you can watch videos together. Um, but yeah, I think if you're if you've like never talked about sex before and you're like, oh, we need to go to sex therapy, it can be really daunting to be like, let's go. <laughs> but I think that that uh the sandwich technique, as you're saying. <laughs> and I'm going to say this in like way too therapisty of a way. So you have to like find your own voice. But I think it's like, oh, like remember that one time where we like had sex on our honeymoon and it was so great and I enjoyed this. And, you know, lately I've been feeling kind of disconnected from you and it would be so hot if we could find a way to, you know, connect even more in that way. And I find it so sexy when you're willing to try new things with me. Would you be willing to try 
you know, a, a session of sex therapy. <laughs> I love that. I think that is such a great way of kind of talking about it. And also, I think that this is like kind of for like many cisgender women. They, sometimes it's hard for them to own what they want. Like, I think I was yes. like that. From thinking yeah, because about- we're, t- we're taught that we're just supposed to be good hostesses, right? Right, right. So the idea then it's that kind of knowing this is this is something that's important to me. Honey, will you be willing to do that? Hopefully your partner will come for the relationship and improvement of the relationship. But if it's important for you, it's okay for you to uh, own that and advocate for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you think doing this job has like helped you most in your own relationship with yourself and, and, and in partnership? Well, I think it, it really challenged me to see that they're not a same, like only one version of uh good right there are people mm-hmm. living different lives and different experiences and it could yeah. be rewarding and uh, it gave me permission to experiment with different versions of myself right that kind of thinking mm-hmm. about uh, assessing is this me or not and giving myself permission to evolve because like the woman I was 10 years ago it has nothing to do like it's very different than who I am right now and I'm sure it will be different I think the other thing that really helped me open my eyes is that a uh, great sex it has nothing to do with what you've seen in the movies and porn any of that it's more about how you feel so if for me holding hand feels sexy and one day then that's that is sexy so there's not a right definition of sex it's more about how you feel in your body and how do you experience that with your partner right yeah i agree with that i think um i'm going to be doing it maybe you can answer some of these episodes i'll put this on a a snippet on another one but um i'm going to be doing an episode about like what makes for good um good sex, what makes for good oral sex and what makes for good hand sex. Um, Do you have any tips for any of those things as to what makes good sex, what makes good oral and what makes good hand stuff? (laughs) Well, uh, you caught me off guard, but like I'm I'm saying what comes (laughs) to my mind. (laughs) Well, I think for good sex, I think like you having a great time is important. Because sometimes people are too focused on pleasing the partner and kind of like checking in, what are you doing? Are they pleased or not? So if if you are owning, like kind of like being in your body and uh, kind of like honoring that, I think that's really, really important. So embodiment piece is really uh, yeah. important. Yes. Uh, I think the other for the oral sex, kind of like finding some enthusiasm in it, like whatever aspect of it that find something that you like. Right. Kind of if, if mm-hmm. it's like what you're doing or uh, like how how does it do to your partner's body? What does it do to your partner's body? So I yeah. think it's less about technique because people sometimes just get so worried about, am I uh, like moving my tongue correctly? Do I need mm-hmm. to do deep throat? It's just more yeah. about <laughs> uh, like showing your enthusiasm, being playful about it. For yeah. hand sex, I love loot. <laughs> Yes, lube should always be there for everything. (laughs) Upgrade your hand sex with doing experimenting with different lubes. But Nicoletta, you cheated. You didn't tell me about how has it impacted your sex life, not being a sex therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, reroute, reroute. Yeah, I would say, I mean, in a lot of great ways, I think it, it continues to challenge me to learn more and sort of be better. And, and it's really, 
I don't think there's anything that like is weird to me now. <laughs> you know, I think there hasn't been, I don't know if you've been shocked recently by anything and I'd love to hear if you have been and what it was because it might shock me too. Um, but I haven't, it's been a long time since I've been like shocked by anything. Um, and I think it's just really created, I don't know, an era of like not judging myself and and really being open to like all the possibilities and really embracing the expansiveness of what pleasure and sex can be and can look like. But I also think that that has sort of a dark shadow side, like I was kind of talking about before, which is sometimes I get a little too, um, a little too, uh, overwhelmed at the buffet, if you will. Right. So I'm like, well, I want to try this and I want to try that. And I want to do this and I want to do that. And, oh, is that dish over there better than the one I'm eating? Should I gotten that pizza? You know? So I think sometimes I get a little bit too invested in like wanting to do and to practice and put into practice all the things that I'm learning. And I think that can be overwhelming for me, but also for, for partners as well, because it can be great on one hand, because maybe I'm helping kind of continue the engine forward to improving and checking in about our relationship. But I think it's sometimes hard not to compare or it's hard not to be like, um, Oh, I should be trying all this stuff. I should be doing that. Um, am I missing out on this like other cool thing that I just learned about? Um, and, but to me, that also, I think helps me connect to my clients. And, and that's sort of a point where I sometimes will self-disclose to clients or be really real with them about like what their expectations are for the kind of sex that I'm having. So I won't go into detail and, and without, you know, them asking me and be like, guess what, how I fucked last night, you know, <laughs> not like that, but more just sort of validating that, like, look, this is my job and my field. And, sometimes the sex I have like isn't great or sometimes this needs to be improved or I'm still working on this. And even though I know I shouldn't compare, I still sometimes compare and even though this is my job. Um, and so I think there's so many wonderful things, but yeah, sometimes I think I can get, my eyes can get too big for my, for my vagina. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> I think uh, like going back to what we learned at school and what wasn't helpful i think like kind of like yeah. how much they taught us about no not self-disclose right i think as you said there are time and place that self-disclosure can be very healing for clients but it's always serving the clients not our desire to uh, share yeah yeah well sort of my my last question before we start wrapping is like what are some of the most common things that you're seeing in your practice right now and that could be you know, obviously bias based on kind of what you, what you specialize in, but whether that's common themes or, you know, things since pandemic, but what are some of the most common things that you're seeing uh, with clients and across the board right now? I see a lot of clients that they struggle with sexual boredom. They are in a long-term relationship. They just don't, they're not interested in having sex with their partner anymore. And that's, that is the as therapists presenting problem, but could be so many different reasons, right? Why am I bored? bored? Boredom could be a symptom of desire discrepancy, symptom of not not really showing your erotic self. That's, so that's part of the clients that I see. Not having the kind of sex you want to be having. Right, right. Or like maybe like you're not comfortable with uh, kind of like kind of showing that rawness and uh, kind of animalistic part of yourself. So I think it's exploring that that has been very rewarding because sometimes it, it feels like people think that sex and long term relationship, monogamous relationship is destined to be boring. 
And mm-hmm. I feel like sex is just so great going back to my thought of sex is so great that I think yeah. if you invest in it, you can have great fulfilling sexual experiences that's exciting in all stages of your life. So that's the one thing that I see uh, due to the population I work with. I see a lot of people with who are experienced pain during uh, sex uh, yeah, because of, yeah because of my experience also I'm very passionate helping people because sometimes many of these women feel that a pain is normal or they feel defective it's part of their identity yeah. uh, and pain is a problem like any other thing that you can solve and the other population I love to work with are mixed orientation couples especially that if they're identifying mm. with uh kind of lgbtq community that they are part of the uh, quote-unquote heterosexual couples and helping them to make it work for themselves if they are interested in so that's also something that's exciting to me as well oh okay so for listeners out there i wish we had time to get into it more today and maybe you can come back and talk about it more but if you want to know more about pelvic pain um go back to some past episodes one with uh kana Kassard and one with shireen obert the pelvic whisperer um to learn a little bit more about about pelvic pain um i would love to hear a little bit if we have time about the mixed orientation couples i know we talked about this a little on my episode on your podcast but like I want to flip the flip the question and like tell me a little more like what what kind of mixed orientations are you seeing and like yeah how do we work with that well, what I, I know that uh, orient, sexual orientation is a galaxy of different kind of options. What I see a lot is that people who are got they got married as cisgender heterosexual couples, and through this journey of life, they discover that they have same-sex attraction exclusively, or uh, they identify as bisexual or somewhere in between. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's, it can be very uh, scary for people. Some people kind of end the relationship but many people they make it work because the other aspect of the relationship yeah. is helpful for them and to, in therapy we're examining that if that's something you're interested how does it how can it look like how what are some of the options you have there because there is no one size fits uh fits all for when it comes to the happy relationship i have yeah. couples that they've they've been able to uh work it out and i have couples that they ended but at least as you're going through when you go to therapy when you're processing these things a you know that you explored it enough and b uh oftentimes you end at the part at in a, in a way in a good term knowing mm-hmm. that the, the partner is different but also you feel that this is something that wasn't aligned with what you wanted. So I think going through that journey can be very meaningful because I, I also seen people that they left the relationship and later on they regret it or they kind of carried a lot of anger and resentment because of what they experienced. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes back to what you were saying about the sexual boredom and just embracing the idea that we never know everything about ourselves and about our partner. Um, and that. I think a lot of people don't like to admit that because we like to sort of pretend that we do because that can feel like a false sense of safety. Um, But if you remember that, you know, things are changing, desires are changing, we're discovering new things about each other, then it should shouldn't ever be boring for a long time because there's always new stuff to learn and be curious about. You just have to be willing. Absolutely. And kind of going back to the sexual or mixed orientation couples is that sometimes people feel uh, deceived 
like you had this information and you mm. hid it from me. But I think the other part of mm. it, our orientation evolve, our interests evolve, and we learn more mm. about ourselves. So I think it, the more that going back to the previous conversation we had, that we approach it with curiosity. I think it will yeah. be healthier for us and for the relationship. Yeah. And I mean, some people have hidden it, but not, I mean, I'm sure this has happened in the history of sex therapy, but I don't usually see it coming from a malicious thing. Like, I'm not going to tell you this and I'm keeping it secret. It's usually from some deep shame and trauma. Um, And yeah, it sucks to maybe find out something new that someone's maybe known, but wasn't ready to admit, but trying to find some empathy for that because, oh, it's so hard to come to terms with that if you have a lot of shame. Absolutely. And I think, again, a shame uh, gives us information about kind of like who we are and what the story we're telling ourselves. So I think mm-hmm. uh, as go as you were mentioning earlier, that the it's completely OK not to be interested. And in, that's something that someone that someone else is interested in. But I think these kind of like the visceral feeling that we get that they're bad. I think it comes from this place of uh, kind of like uh, deep uh, misunderstanding we have around sex and sexuality. Yeah. I think you even have on your website, it's like a a hundred top tips for like keeping things hot or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like, I I love excitement. (laughs) I, I have a checklist for that. Yes. Okay. Well, I want people to go and like download the checklist, but like any ones that you can remember, I don't want to put you on the spot, but that come to mind that would be like a good starting point for some folks who are feeling kind of bored. I, I love talking about this. I think it's the good first step would be, I tell people to kind of like create this uh, fantasy jar, kind of write down your jar, uh, fantasy and write, mm. write in the jar uh, and put it in the jar and like take turns reading each other's fantasy. And if that is something you're interested in, you can ask your partner, like, I read this. Tell me more about that. Kind of like knowing yeah. that like you, ha- you don't need to uh, act on it. Kind of like the, the act of, being curious, that can be sexy and hot. Um, the other very interesting thing is there are so many exciting new sex, sexual tech, sex, 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 sex technology that people yeah. can explore. And I love these remote control sex toys. They're just so mm-hmm. naughty and fun. And that could be an easy way of couple incorporating yeah, to dinner. Some, <laughs> right, right. Dinner or like, you know, like throughout the afternoon. And that can give you so much, uh, kind of like playfulness into the relationship. I'm uh, wearing one right now. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> During sessions. <laughs> <laughs> that feels like non-consensual a little bit, but kind of kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, imagine sitting all day in your therapy chair just with a butt plug in. I can I'm sure somebody has done that. Actually I have a friend who um their partner is into uh, chastity. So for listeners mm-hmm. out there, if you don't know what that is, it's sort of like locking up your genitals in a consensual fun way as they're sort of like a tease and denial and a power dynamic. And so I know they've like, uh, I don't know, their partner used to go on like acting auditions and they would have their dick locked up during like, act, you know, auditioning for like children's shows. <laughs> <laughs> 
fun. <laughs> I would respect my therapist more if I knew they were wearing a chastity belt. Oh session. yeah, or a butt plug all day, right? <laughs> That's the kind of therapist I want. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, well, Dr. Nassanine, thank you so much for joining. And again, listeners, check out part one uh, where I, I get interviewed and we have an awesome conversation on the sexology podcast. Uh, but how can folks uh, follow what you're doing? Check out the um, you know, hot tip list on your website or hire you? Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for this opportunity. People can listen to my call, uh, my show. It's called Sexology, wherever they check out the podcast, whatever platform, and they can find my blog post, all the free material in my uh, website, sexologypodcast.com. Oh, and thank you. And listeners, again, if you want to follow what I'm doing, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. You can also listen anywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review both of our podcasts because it helps. Um, and check out any of those advertiser discounts because the more you support the advertisers, the more you support the podcast. And talk to you next week.